0: Today on episode number 804 of CXO Talk, we're discussing enterprise AI with Aaron Levy, the co-founder and CEO
1: of Box. We have a fairly unique perspective on uh, the AI conversation simply because of how much data uh, is inside the Box platform. So we have hundreds of petabytes of, of, uh, of content, tens and tens of billions of files, and in every single one of those documents, it could be a contract, a marketing asset, a financial record, an HR document and every single one of those, those, uh, those documents is uh, incredibly rich and, and valuable information. So the types of concerns and the types of conversations we have with our customers are. Okay, how do I actually bring the power of large language models to all of this data? How do I keep my data secure while interacting with it uh, through la- large language models? How do I ensure I'm remaining compliant with all of the different industry standards um, that I have to be able to support now that I'm using AI in- inside of my business? So there's a very wide range of, of, I think, challenges, but also opportunities that AI presents. They really want to lean into AI. They want to have an AI first business and business model but they need ways of connecting AI to their data.
0: What about the maturity of their usage? So if you talk with people in in larger companies or, or mid sized companies, I'm sure there are varying degrees of AI maturity.
1: It's a situation where I think everybody is is probably you know, kind of relatively immature um, you know, compared to, to what the technology is capable of today. At the same time, probably the same level of maturity uh, relative to just their, their their peers, in the sense of, of, I'm I'm not seeing a lot of companies that are like years ahead of of everybody else uh, in the field. Um, you know, we have a we've had a breakthrough technology just in the past 12 months, which is ChatGPT and some of the underlying large language models that that power ChatGPT. And so it's almost impossible for any one company to be that many years ahead of, of of the rest of the industry. So so I think you know we'll look back and and realize this was a period of, ex- of of we were extremely early in an incredibly long trend um and transformation of the enterprise. Um and at the same time I think companies are aggressively leaning in trying to figure out where is the big opportunity um you know for AI in their business. Uh you know we we uh, we hosted a dinner last week with about 15 CIOs of you know a, a range of different industries um financial services, uh real estate, uh media and and, uh, and marketing and entertainment. And the amazing thing was um was uh, you know universally everybody was diving right into AI. Um everybody was was diving in with a you know a similar degree of 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 kind of maturity and you know building out uh their their architectures and frameworks and um and task forces uh, around how they're going to leverage AI in their business. And yet and yet Every single one of them was insanely early uh, in in the journey. Um, you know, very few companies had done sort of wholesale, kind of company wide production deployments of of large language models. You know, it was a lot of experimentation, uh, a lot of experimentation, a lot of testing on different teams and different departments. There were a few that had you know leaned in maybe more aggressively, but we're so early. I think we're going to look back in you know three or five or ten years, and uh, and and this is going to be you know um, you know just scratching the surface of uh, of what's possible with AI is what we're seeing today.
0: So, what I'm taking away from this is you're seeing a lot of enthusiasm, but there's also a lot of, we could say, confusion about what the opportunities are, even what some of the challenges that may emerge are, and how to invest in this thing that's this incredibly moving target.
1: I want to find the right word for confusion in the sense of I think it's actually fairly structured and fairly um, uh, you know you have fairly methodical um, uh, that that what, what customers are working through so so it's it's some kind of like enlightened ver- version of confusion which is which is sort of everybody has some pretty clear perspective on what they like to do but we're so early in what do these architectures need to look like. Where, um, where should companies be investing their time and resources simply because we haven't developed the patterns as an industry yet. You know, when you think about like the reference architectures, um, over the years for, you know, how do you manage databases? How do you manage the cloud? How do you manage DevOps? We don't have these reference architectures. Uh, for AI yet, all we really know is that 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 we are in this massive tidal wave of large language models and, and an incredible kind of leapfrogging, um, you know, of these platforms. But we're so early, and the reference architectures aren't there, and so companies are. All trying to you know kind of figure out from from their peers and from the industry and from vendors you know where all of this is going. So you know a lot of our conversations with customers really orients around how do you create the highest degree of optionality. So um, you know today OpenAI is very clearly the leader in terms of the the most advanced AI models, but at the same time we're seeing breakthroughs from other players. So how do you have high degree of optionality where you can you know swap in different components at different times? How do you have an architecture that is is future proof to all of these um, you know, kind of trends that are gonna, you know, continue to happen in this space. How do you ensure data protection and privacy and security so you don't have any kind of leakage of your data between models or Accidentally, users are getting information that they shouldn't have access to. Um, and then, and then how do you, you know, kind of test and iterate and, um, and make sure that, that you're, you're sort of scaling, you know, with, uh, with the rate of how this industry is changing. And so a lot of our conversations with customers are more at that kind of philosophical level. How do you implement a, a strategy in AI, uh, that lets you get the most out of it, you know, not just, you know, today and right now, but over the next three and five and 10 years?
0: So what about this? investment issue since there are so, ma- so many unknowns at this time. What do you tell your clients, your customers, about how to invest? As you said, there, are, there aren't the reference architectures yet, but we need to be doing something. So, what should we be
1: doing? A lot of our conversation with customers is trying to figure out where is there so much untapped value inside their enterprise relative to the data that they have. So, um, you know, where are their insights? Where is their Where are their productivity gaps? Uh, where could you be making better decisions? Where could you be enabling employees to work more productively? Based on the information that, that you have inside of your enterprise, so you know in some companies that's going to be um, in their go-to-market teams. So how can they sell to their clients faster? In some companies that's going to be in R&D. Uh, how do you develop products more quickly, leveraging your, your your data or using AI as an assistant to make you more productive? So we're we're you know working with companies um, again in every single industry, and I think where the value creation is in that industry is going to um, uh, really lead you to where the biggest AI outcomes are, are likely. To be. So, you know, as a software company, um, we spend a lot of time trying to rapidly build software. So we want to use AI to help our engineers be very productive. And at the same time, we need to be able to sell and market and, and bring that software to our customers. So we want to use AI to facilitate how do we actually get this technology in the hands of, of our, our customers as quickly as possible. So I think, you know, businesses that really understand where do they have a, a tremendous amount of data? What is inside of that data? What could that data, uh, uh, produce for their organization that would, would give them, um, you know, some, some form of, of extra value, uh, whether it's again, what they're building, serving their customers, employee, uh, you know, culture operations, and, uh, and that's where AI can have, you know, some of the biggest impact in their, in their business.
0: At Box, you're you're an enterprise, and you're having to deal with these same issues in many respects as moving target. How do you manage it?
1: We sort of have two big components. One is how do our employees leverage AI, um, and uh, and in that case. You know, fortunately, we're able to use a lot of our own technology. So we we announced a product called Box AI um, that allows you to quickly ask questions of any kind of document or information. It lets you generate content uh, inside of uh, inside of our product as well. So we use Box AI to you know do everything from whether it's drafting a new communication for uh, for a sales rep or um, summarizing a, a critical contract that we're working on to accelerate the the contract lifecycle. Uh, we want to use AI across our entire business to make all of our employees more productive. And then equally, we wanna build AI into our product in a way that gives our customers an extreme amount of leverage in how they bring large language models to their data. And so we've had a lot of companies come to us and say, "Hey." You know I, I have thousands or tens of thousands or millions of documents uh, that I want to be able to use AI against. So I have a bunch of invoices or contracts or um, uh, uh, lease agreements that that I want to be able to use AI to extract information from or summarize or provide some kind of expertise or opinion on and um, and instantly what what happens is when they start to think about that problem they're they're you know thinking about, okay, so how do I convert these documents into an AI ready format so I have to create you know, vector embeddings on these documents and store them in a vector database. Then I've got to be able to run AI models against the, the data inside that vector database. Then I have to have an interface that end users can interact with. And then I have to have security and, and permissions and access controls of who can access that data. And very quickly, I mean, this is a multi-hundred engineer type problem that our customers are, are dealing with. And this is exactly what our platform uh, is meant to go and simplify. So if you think about what we've been building for well over a decade and a half is a platform that lets you securely store, manage, share, provide the access controls for and interaction of all of your unstructured data, all of your unstructured content. And now what we're doing is connecting AI models to that data in a very secure and compliant way. So for us internally, building out our platform, the way we think about it is how do we have a modular architecture where we can bring in AI models from any vendor that we uh, that our customers are gonna wanna work with over time and be able to help our customers take full advantage of all of the amazing innovation that's happening today.
0: Please subscribe to our newsletter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, check out CXOTalk.com, we have amazing shows coming up. What about from a business process standpoint? You just spoke about it from a product standpoint, but what about the use of AI in a practical way inside Box?
1: We encourage our employees to use uh, AI uh, in any way that can make them both more productive, but also where um, where we're protecting any kind of risk in our, our business. So, um, so you know, the, the kind of classic example is if you use AI to, let's say, help you optimize uh, code that you're working on you are still responsible uh, for what you ultimately put into the code base um, as an individual. So there's no way that, that, you know, you could ever say, um, hey, you know, AI told me to do this and I did it and it didn't work. And so I'm going to blame the AI. So the employee still retains uh, and remains fully responsible for everything that that happens um, uh, in their use of AI. So that's the first kind of most important part of how we think about AI. Um, We also make sure that that employees don't um, use any kind of sensitive information, any customer data, any personal uh, uh, information in AI models that we don't have full control over. Um, and so this is why having dedicated instances of AI models is very important um, and ensuring that there's no training um, or sharing of any data that happens uh, when you're using that, that underlying AI model. And so we're fortunate because within our own product box, AI, um, we're able to leverage you know, dedicated, isolated, safe and secure um, AI for all of our data. And, um, and again, that, that can be anything from a, a sales rep drafting, up, drafting uh, an email It's going to go out to a customer. They want to get uh, AI to help them very quickly with that. Uh, It could be a a lawyer that is summarizing a contract and, um, and quickly extracting critical clauses that they need to get from that contract. It could be a marketing um, professional at box that needs help on kind of what's the new message for a particular marketing effort or a new press release. So we use our own product box AI for helping us across all of those types of use cases in the business. And you know, in some cases that might be a five or 10% productivity gain. In other cases it could save, you know, employee hours and hours uh, from a task that they were otherwise going to do.
0: How do you manage the hallucinations, or, or the more broadly, the risk of inaccuracy seeping in?
1: We spend a tremendous amount of time on this on this issue of uh, hallucination. So, um, if you just uh, you know sent a, a document to any kind of you know average AI model, you have a high risk where uh, as the AI you know reads that document. Um, there's a high high chance that it's going to you know hallucinate uh, to some extent. so so we spend a tremendous amount of time in our backend systems, um in terms of how we do the vector embeddings of the document, what AI models we use in terms of where we send the underlying content, um and the prompt itself. Uh, that we've really spent a lot of time on uh, working to ensure that there's as little hallucination to no hallucination as possible. So, um, so we, we have, um, you know, worked to make sure that we remove the, uh, the likelihood of and reduce the likelihood of the AI model coming back with an answer that is sort of not based on the underlying text. Uh, that we're giving it. And, uh, and then we, um, uh, are continuing to work on improved ways of offering citations. So you have instant ways of seeing, Hey, this is why the AI gave you this answer or this recommendation. So you as a user have full control and visibility and sort of explainability on how the AI came up with what it came up with. And that, that's going to be incredibly important as a sort of a fundamental user right in the future is to understand, well, you know, how did AI make this recommendation of, you know, what you know, healthcare um, uh, outcome to, uh, to recommend or what financial um, uh, suggestion to make or, you know, what were the meeting notes of that meeting? You want explainability in the underlying um, uh, recommendations from the AI model.
0: So building in that audit trail capability, essentially. That's right. That's exactly right. We have an interesting question from Twitter, and this is from Arsalan Khan, who's a regular listener. And he asks really thoughtful questions, and and Arsalan, thank you for all your questions. And he says this: He says. The by and large today's push for AI is because of the release of Chat GPT back in November. Previously, enterprises were, or why he says, were enterprises timid to really get involved with AI before then? And what are enterprises timid about? Today and I'll just mention that I think one of the answers, at least to the first part, why were enterprises timid before? Is this is a marketing thing. I mean, ChatGPT it's marketed
1: AI. The ChatGPT moment was uh, was incredibly um, uh, unique and idiosyncratic, uh, where where it was the combination of a of of just frankly the best large language model that that we ha- have ever seen up to that point, which was uh, GPT three point five. So this is where um uh, they had um, uh, the 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 reinforcement learning mechanism with with human uh, with with human feedback. So um, so that was really important uh, for tuning the model in a way that provided you good answers. So you, so you had both the model itself um, as uh, as being a kind of a unique moment. And then the interface of having a conversational UI, to a large language model was also really important. So, you know, for 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 those of us that have been doing this for a while, you'll know that that you go to openai.com, you know, maybe a year and a half ago and you have this sort of playground environment and and really all it is is a is just one text box and you have to type in and then and then the AI model kind of continues on the text. Um, that, that you were writing, but that's not like a, an intuitive interface for the average consumer. That, it's a, it's a really just kind of, a, again, a kind of sandbox, playground-type type, type, uh, type environment. And so it was that combination of a chat interface and a very, very powerful model that I think created the ability for consumers to see, you know, holy crap, this is the power of, of actually AI right now. So, you know, I think in a, in a really weird way, it probably would not have been possible for everyone to have this kind of form of enlightenment and excitement um, prior to a year ago and uh, and so we're really kind of only about a year into this modern wave of AI I mean it's it really was the iPhone moment um, of AI because it was the first time that we had a uh, you know commercial at scale way of experiencing what AI is going to be able to do for us at this point, you know if we look at it you know we're almost a year, into the kind of, you know, the first anniversary of, uh, of ChatGPT about 10 months in. And, you know, at this point, I think the there's probably still more questions than even answers, which is, okay, how do we deal with the privacy of, uh, of AI? How do we deal with the copyright, you know, po- potential challenges? You know, we're seeing, uh, you know, examples come out from the, uh, um, you know, various judges that say, okay, you can't patent um, or you can't copyright the works uh, that an AI model is producing. That's going to have some really new interesting consequences, which is if you're you're a marketing team or you're a product development team and you use AI to, to help you with some kind of part of your product, you know, how much of that is going to be patentable, depending on which, which part, you know, kind of AI played a role in, in creating. So there's many more questions at this stage, um, that, that I think ChatGPD has sort of thrust onto the market, but it's actually good that, that it's happening that way. You know, this is something where you almost need to, we need some kind of trial by fire. We have to actually see, um, what, what, uh, you know, where the edges of this technology are and how the market evolves. This is not something you kind of like overthink. You kind of have to explore and experiment and have, you know real examples to to figure out where the boundaries are here
0: so the second part of his question is what are folks in the enterprise business leaders and technology leaders timid about today as far as adoption goes i think you've c- touched on some of it
1: the bigger things usually are around security privacy Um, uh, uh, you know, copyright, you know, challenges, risk, litigation, all, all of that. These are all very real, I think, open questions. I think companies are making great strides to helping companies, you know, work through this and and deal with this. Within Box, for instance, again, um, our commitment is ensuring that, you know, no data, uh, no customer data is ever used to train any model whatsoever. That's a very important commitment. Um, we have a commitment that there's no, um, you know, logging or exhaust that happens in the process that that improves the model. Um, we also, because of our architecture, ensure that there's no data leakage where one user might be using AI to access data that another user, um, you know, was uh, what, what you know owned or, or had access to. So, um, so you ensure that there's you know kind of firewalls between what each individual user experiences. Um, in terms of the content that they can access, so these are the things that customers are, I think, very rightly concerned about, and these are the the areas that our platform is is meant to go and help customers with.
0: How do you think about this copyright issue? I mean, these are or, or some of these things you're just describing. They're very tricky, thorny issues.
1: We're still very early into you know both the precedents and the kind of case law that that gets set for this. Um I think it's a it's a really interesting tension where um, there's no question that um, that, that, uh, you know, there's sort of two sides. There's the, how the model got created itself and how much, you know, copyrighted work, uh, went into the model. And then the other question is, can you copyright things that the model, you know, produces as an output? And I think in both of these things, you know we're we are at the start of of just an unprecedented period of of how this technology works. So you know there's a really interesting question of of you know what is the role of the rights holder in the training process? Um, you know we're seeing great examples where you can block access to your content from from being trained on that that you know having that right is is obviously a, a great idea. There's some examples of um, you know companies saying okay we want to get paid uh, for access to our information or for the the rights to our data and that that also makes a, a ton of sense. I think there's going to be some complexity if the models, you know, kind of attempt to keep track of all of the rights holders inside the model, um, and then you know, paying some kind of residual or or some kind of fee for usage. That 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 feels, you know, something that will probably be impossible technically at scale to to really achieve. Um, so we're really going to have to figure out how these models get trained um, and uh, and how you kind of keep track of of some of the rights. Elements in that, and then on the other hand, you have the what the model produces and how much of that is copyrightable. Um, and I think we're, we're again witnessing some really interesting cases right now that that uh, are are centered around this. And so then there's this question of how much did the human do and how much did the AI do. And and where in that kind of continuum, if the AI did the vast majority of the creation, then I think it's it's reasonable that a human is not going to be able to to get a copyright, um, you know, for that output. But uh, but this is very you know this this is a very nuanced uh, topic because we have to decide you know what is the percentage that humans do. You know, for for a hundred plus years, you know, humans have been using you know some form of mechanical. Um, uh, technology or computer technology to, to produce things that we then patent. And so, so you know, clearly we've, we've already had, um, you know, uh, so much uh, precedent for this idea that I'm, I'm going to use a technology to create something that I, that I become the rights holder for. So AI is just another accelerant of that trend. Um, but when does it cross over into something that, that is now, you know, now, now the computer is doing the vast majority of the work and how do we think through that? Just laughing to myself
0: as you were talking because you could define a percentage, but it doesn't work that way because right. the two become infused and melded to it's like a mind meld of the two and how do you how do you separate
1: it? I mean just like Photoshop, let's just say. So if I created a, an image in Photoshop you know five years ago, um, do I own the copyright to that? Yes, but clearly Photoshop is giving me tools. That, that allow me to produce something that I would never have been able to produce before. And AI is, in many respects, another step in that direction. But there is something about the AI doing the extra work of, of the creative process or um, the production process that exceeds our, our typical way of defining tools. And so it's, it's giving us all this new surface area and ground to cover that we're, we're gonna have to deal with you know, from a legal standpoint.
0: So given all of this, you've laid out the challenges quite well. What do you recommend that, again, business leaders and technology leaders actually do today?
1: What we're seeing a lot from our our customers is the first, you know, setting up these kind of cross-functional groups uh, to go and identify where AI can be applied in the business, how they can apply it safely, dealing with the legal and compliance and security uh, decision. So, you know, for literally the past nine months, we've had a standing working group um, that is repre- that that where where uh, we have representatives from privacy, legal, security, compliance, the business, and technology come together and say, where are we going to use AI in our business to be as productive as possible? but do so in a way that is sort of legally safe and and, and compliant with uh, the industry standards that that we have. And so I I first recommend all enterprises um, build some form of of committee or working group that can help with that. And then um, then the second thing is you need to make sure that you have a a framework or an architecture that allows you to, again, have a future-proofed, AI strategy. There's so much changing in the industry right now. I think it's it's um, it behooves most businesses to have a high degree of optionality and and sort of range of motion of how they implement AI in their business because we are so early in this next wave of of AI that it's going to be really important that that you know you don't over lean into one particular path or, or direction. So that's the second piece. And then the third final piece I would say is you need to test. You need to get ideas from the business. You have to get use cases from the actual users. So I think being you know, maybe a, a, a bit permissive on on what people do with the technology just so you can learn from them. But but short of being fragmented and, and too decentralized that you get, you know, utter chaos. And so we're seeing co- some customers do hackathons where, you know, they want employees to test with AI to figure out if some business process could be improved because of AI. Um, or they're they're letting compa- uh, their their employees start to use AI for different use cases, and then they want to learn from those so they can standard across standardize across the business. So um, so those are probably the three key things. task force um uh, for figuring out the standards, optionality in the in the core architecture, you, so you have a future-proof architecture. and three, test, iterate, get some of that kind of decentralized use cases going.
0: So the technical architecture is a very important foundation, getting that right.
1: It's a wave of technology where, your, your architecture will define your strategy. Um, the, the architecture you land on for using AI on your data will 100% create a, uh, a, a, a fixed outcome of, of how you're gonna be able to leverage uh, AI in the future. And so getting that right, having a high degree of flexibility, understanding that there's a lot of different model competition right now. So you want to be in a position where you're not overly wedded or stuck to just one particular model provider, given how much competition there is. Um, I think that that's going to be super important for enterprises.
0: Can you elaborate on that? That seems like a very important point. You just said that absolutely your technical architecture will determine your strategy.
1: We're seeing a lot of companies sort of just struggle with okay, where, what kind of bets do you make right now, and um, versus where do you want flexibility? And Jeff Bezos had has this line um, that that I think is just probably the most important way to think about a lot of technology, which is one-way doors versus 2 way doors. And one-way doors are you go uh, maybe we'll start with two-way doors. Two-way doors, um, uh, you, you basically can go in and out of them and change your mind. So, you can iterate, you can pivot, you can you can move around, you can adapt quickly. And one-way doors, once you go through it, you're you're sort of stuck. You're on the other end of that door and and there's no going back. And so, everything you do subsequent to that going through that door, you are stuck with that decision. And I think AI offers a lot of these sort of two-way door versus one-way door type decisions. A two-way door in the AI world is, how do you have an abstraction layer from your business process or your data from the AI models, so that way I have the ability to swap in different providers or different components over time as there's more advanced technology or more advanced breakthroughs on the AI front. A one-way door would be saying, I'm going to be stuck with one particular model or one particular AI paradigm right now, and I'm going to build right on top of that. Now, that offers some benefits because you know, vertic- anytime you do sort of vertical integration, there's some efficiency gain for that. The challenge, of course, in AI is I would say on a very, on like a weekly or, or, you know, at least twice monthly basis. We are seeing some breakthrough in AI where one company is leapfrogging another. You know, we we have OpenAI, uh, we have Anthropic, we have Google, we have Amazon. Uh, we now have Meta releasing Llama and Llama 2. So you have this incredible sort of of set of leapfrog events that are happening in the industry. And I think it, it, it's going to behoove most enterprises to have an architecture that allows them to take advantage of of these breakthroughs and not be overly stuck to one particular paradigm, particularly just this early in the evolution of AI. You know, it's it's one thing to say okay, I'm going to dedicate a full team to building iOS apps because you just know, okay, you know, 90% of your employee base is going to use iOS. Uh, you know, at, at this point, you know, if if uh, if you're uh, if you're an example enterprise but with ai we're just we're just so early we don't know you know which model or which par- particular paradigm is going to win out at this stage so having that flexibility having that optionality i think is going to be very key for uh, for customers and that's certainly what our platform is uh, is is meant to deliver so we
0: have a question from shelly lucas she's at Pisa rose on twitter and she says the demand for ai has outpaced chip supply how much should enterprises invest in AI development when chip production is so limited?
1: If you're an enterprise, I think right now is the wrong time, let's say, to be doing lots of deep, deep custom model training. Because we're at the, uh, you know, to Charlie's point, we're at the sort of peak of, of a supply-demand imbalance which means that there's limited supply for uh, for GPUs and for you know the the kind of core infrastructure to train models, and we're at peak demand not, not not peak demand but we're peak relative demand um, to to what we've seen in in recent years. Which means that it, the costs are going up dramatically, and so you would be you know doing things like experimenting or training models at a at a point where where it's extremely expensive to do so because there's so much. Scarcity of uh, of the underlying infrastructure uh, to be able to do that versus maybe in a year or two from now um, that that cost curve coming down. So I think there's a huge premium on building the layer above the model training, plugging into to platforms like OpenAI or or Azure or Anthropic, and and being able to use those those models to really perfect. You know what can you do within your business um, uh, to, to leverage AI. And then as the cost curve comes down on, on training your own models, um, I think that starts to become much more, much more realistic and and reasonable for enterprises. Now there's a lot of different paths companies are taking. I think there's, there's no sort of wrong answer right now, but, um, but to Shelly's specific point, I think right now, um, I would be spending more time on the abstraction layer of AI as opposed to just pure training of models because of where we are in the cost curve on, on model training. Arsalan
0: Khan comes back with another question. He says, to use AI for decision-making, we need to have the right data and the right algorithms at the right time. Do you advise organizations to do proper data management and to know about their algorithms before using AI or to do it all at the same time? It's a really thoughtful question.
1: The right answer, like academically, is is get your get your data into a good spot, have it organized well, have the right kind of permissions and controls, and then layer in AI on top of that. That is that is sort of like what what the, the you know the 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 intellectually correct you know answer is in this kind of case. The reality is the space is moving so quickly; some companies can't afford. Um, or they don't believe they can afford or uh, or there's other you know business imperatives that are demanding the need to to do both of these simultaneously. and um and so so the the the, the sort of practical answer right now is that a lot of companies are gonna have to get, um, you know moving on both fronts in parallel. But no matter what, you literally can't use AI uh, effectively if your data is not organized properly in a good position with the right access controls in a secure and compliant way. It's just literally impossible. Um, you know, we've we've heard of examples of, of a company that says, you know, hey, here's an AI interfa- interface for a- interacting with data in my enterprise. They shove all the data kind of close to that AI model, but they forget to have any kind of access controls. And then all of a sudden, somebody does an AI kind of question and they get an answer for something that they're not allowed to see. So almost by definition, you know, you, you, you do have to get your data into a good spot. It has to be organized properly. It has to be securely, um, uh, you know, kind of protected with the right types of access controls. And then AI really comes on top of that.
0: So you have to, whether you, whether you do it ahead of time or you do it at the same time, it needs to be done.
1: And it has to be done first. But I do see companies having to say, you know what, uh, we, we have to move on this in parallel.
0: We have a very interesting question from Mike Prest. He's chief information officer at a private equity investment group. This is from LinkedIn, and he says the following. Elon Musk mentioned this week that he thinks it's very likely that there could be a federal regulatory agency for AI. As a business leader, what are your thoughts on potential regulation for the development of AI?
1: I'm firmly in the optimistic camp of... Of what tech of what AI is going to enable. I think it's gonna actually enable more jobs. I think it'll enable more fulfilling jobs. Um, I think it'll make us all uh, you know, kind of more productive. And in my definition, that just means working on the things that that humans are are better enabled to do and and that are more creative and that we get more fulfillment from. So I'm I'm firmly and deeply on the camp of of AI as a is a total net positive, almost universally. You know, there'll be a couple examples of some roles that need to evolve and um, and, and some jobs that will need to shift, but for the most part, I think this is great for for students and for healthcare and for uh, for for, uh, for for financial um, uh, you know preparedness and for employee productivity. So I think it's all all you know pretty net net positive on those fronts. At the same time, um, you know we there are. There are some areas of risk. There are areas of risk around security. There's areas of national, um, you know, kind of security risk in uh, in in the space of AI. I'm not, you know, in the camp that that AI is, at any any point in the foreseeable future, going to go rogue or uh, start to make decisions on its own in, in a kind of a, in a dangerous way. But I do think there are real risks. Um, That we have to pay attention to. And so whether that is the creation of a federal agency just dedicated to AI or within the construct of an existing framework or agency, um, I think the government is going to have to pay attention to this, is going to have to kind of create some rules of the road. But I would be more in the camp of, of being, you know, on the margin more open than closed. Uh, about that approach, uh, I think that we should not just have AI in the hands of three or five, you know, companies that that uh, that just happen to be the, the companies that have all of the scale and can can work with with all of the regulations. I do think this is a technology that is meant to be, and and it's important for it to be um, diffuse and um, and to some extent decentralized uh, with open source approaches and closed source approaches and commercial approaches and public, private, you know, approaches. So I, I would be, um, I would definitely be sensitive to overregulation at this stage um, in the, uh, in the development of this technology. And I, I'm firmly in the camp that this is sort of not um, a, a, a technology that is um, equivalent to things like nuclear um, or some of the maybe more, you know, uh, uh, you know, technologies that we think about as more on the destructive side. I think this is much more akin to the internet or the computer chip. Um, and we, we, we clearly don't have you know, regulatory bodies that control those things. We have frameworks uh, that that uh, that that each individual industry or part of society, um, you know, uh, has uh, has had to kind of mature around those types of technologies. And so, I, I probably on the margin are in uh, more in that kind of camp. Um, but I think uh, I think our government in the U.S. at least is is you know taking a thoughtful approach to this. Um, and so far, I've I've been uh, optimistic from what I've seen.
0: Since Mike Prest brought up Elon Musk, any thoughts on Elon Musk? How he uses social media? Anything at all? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that that is um, uh, that's about a three-hour conversation. So uh, I, I would just say, you know, we we live in a uh, a very surreal world with um, that makes it feel like a simulation sometimes. And uh, um, and and I'm just I'm just watching from afar, and uh, but I'll I'll keep on on posting online, and we'll see where that ca- gets us.
0: So you're watching the simulation from afar.
1: And probably a minute. So um, I, I think we don't, get to, we don't get too much of a choice of whether we're, we're in the simulation or not.
0: When it comes to leadership, you've founded Box. It's now a public company, a well-known brand. Does, has AI changed the way you lead and manage? And, and very quickly, please.
1: I think we're in the early stages of of how AI impacts how we lead and how we manage, and and I really think it um, it will come down to uh, this idea of having a super intelligence that is right next to us that can help us make better decisions, more informed decisions, get access to more information, um, and I think that's really the the, the main role and, and power of AI. Um, I don't think it's going to fundamentally change the role of the manager or of of, uh, of of the kind of work that we're doing. I think it really is the next um you know stage of the human computer uh, interaction and relationship um with just even more of a uh, of a turbocharger uh, of a value for us
0: what are the box use cases that inspire you right at this moment
1: the reason why we're so incredibly excited is if you think about um you know for for the past you know 30 or 40 years uh, since we we've had you know modern database technology uh, you've always been able to query and synthesize and run reports on and get insights from our structured database, Uh, so from from our structured data. So, you know, our CRM data, our ERP data, our analytics data, all of the stuff that goes into a database, we've been able to programmatically operate on for for forever, essentially. The challenge is that we can't do the same with our unstructured data, our documents, our marketing assets, our memos, our meeting notes, our plans, our our strategy presentations. All of that content generally remains only useful if if an actual end user has opened up the file and is looking at it and is working on it. And so now with AI, for the first time ever, we can actually leverage all of that information, all of that intelligence, all of the value that's trapped inside that data, and we can yeah, Ask questions about it. We can synthesize that information. We can summarize it We can have expertise get applied to it from third-party intelligence um, That uh, that we want to be able to leverage so for us we see it as a breakthrough um, In just being able to work with our information. So I'm a lawyer and I want to look at a, a Contract and quickly summarize what are the risky parts of this contract that I should pay attention to I can now do that in two seconds as opposed to two hours um, I'm working on a, uh, on a press release for a new product, and I need to get some quick ideas. I can now do that again in two seconds as opposed to hours and hours of, of sort of brainstorming or trying to figure out um, you know, some, some, some parts when I'm starting from a cold start. So, um, so the ability to use AI to make us more productive, make us more creative, make us more efficient, be able to get new ideas, um, we believe are, are going to be a kind of huge amplifying force in, in how we get our work done.
0: Those comments, okay, the com the comments f- from the AI, the summarization. How can I have confidence that they're accurate? That's a big deal.
1: This is what we spend all of our time on. So um so, uh, both in improving the accuracy, reducing the hallucination, providing the right kinds of citations, so you know why why you saw the answer that you did. Um, those are the the, uh, the the types of things that, that we're focused on, and and we uh, we've been able to achieve, uh, you know, I think, extremely competitive and and good results um, in uh, uh, you know within our AI solution.
0: Aaron, as we finish up, given your history and background in this in- industry, and you have such a broad perspective because of the folks you're talking to. What advice do you have for business leaders today to help them be successful in this AI world?
1: Testing out use cases, seeing where this can have an impact on your business. Um, I think it's going to be, it's very, very hard for any executive or group of executives to kind of get around the table and come up with all the ideas uh, where AI is going to have an impact on their business, I think it's really important to have have your teams have have ge- you know generally different parts of the workforce, sales, marketing, um, HR, R and D teams come up with ideas, and then have an architecture that allows you to support many of those ideas um, without fra- a fragmented approach to how you're going to manage the technology or how you're going to stay secure. Um, but I I do think diving in, iterating, testing um but being safe about it is uh, is incredibly important.
0: Okay, and with that we are out of time. A just a huge thank you to Aaron Levy. He is the co-founder, CEO and chairman of Box. Aaron, thank you for coming back again to CXO Talk. We really Damn. appreciate that. And everybody, thank you for watching, especially those folks who ask such great questions. You guys are an amazing audience. Now before you go, please subscribe to our newsletter, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out CXOTalk.com. We have amazing shows coming up. Thanks so much, everybody, and I hope you have a great day.